We're all painfully aware that much of our life consists of events and environments that try to limit us, discourage us, and choke out our hope. The easiest route is to give up, but it's not the only road. Even in the midst of these hostile surroundings, not only can you survive, you can grow, you can live, you can thrive and thrive. Hey, good morning. Man, didn't you appreciate the New Spring team this morning leading us in worship? Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but that last song we just sang comes from Revelation, and it's about the worship in heaven. So you guys just worship God the way they worship God in heaven. And in fact, the Bible says in heaven there's going to be millions of people singing that song, so we can't wait to hear that. And then also, I really enjoyed the song, Let's Run. That's the first time that's ever been done. That is a New Spring original, our new our team wrote that, and uh, I just love the original music because it's got such a new spring message and feel to it. So I'm so appreciative of, of those who lead us in worship and Lance and all the people who work with him. We're in a series right now called Thrive, and we're looking back in the book of Genesis at the life of a guy named Joseph, who is a phenomenal young man. At the age of 30, he will basically be running the world, but from the time he is 17 until he's 30, there's a series of unfortunate events that time after time seem to put him on the fast track to nowhere. If you've ever felt that maybe you would never be able to reach your potential because you live in a broken world, then you should really sync up with Joseph because his world is totally broken. We've already seen how that he was hated by his older brothers. Joseph is the 11th of 12 brothers. In fact, if you've ever heard of the 12 tribes of Israel, well, it's because he and his brothers will represent the federal heads of those tribes. Joseph is in a, what we would call a patriarchal family. He is in the family, the very beginning of the nation of Israel. In fact, his dad's name was changed from Jacob to Israel because he would head up the whole very nation of Israel. So he's in a very special family, but he's in a screwed up family. <laughs> How many of you here can identify with that? You say, my family is special, but it's screwed up. And uh, that's the kind of family that Jacob came, uh, Joseph came from. So for 13 years, however, his world would be very, very unusual, up and down, and mostly down. He was sold by his brothers. His brothers wanted to kill him, but they said, hey, let's not kill him ourselves. Let's sell him to slave traders, and they will do it for us. They sold him for 20 pieces of silver, sold their, their flesh and blood. And Joseph is now trottled off to, Israel, to Egypt to a place that he doesn't understand, a culture that he doesn't identify with, a language that he doesn't know. And beyond that, he comes into the country in the very lowest position. When we left Joseph last week, though, we left him at a very puzzling moment because Prior to this last, to last week's moment, Joseph has risen through the ranks as a servant because, as we've been talking about for the last three weeks, God's favor is upon him. Favor is how you live a functional life in a dysfunctional world, God's blessing, God's favor. If you have God's favor on you, you can go past what other people think your limitations are. If you have God's favor upon your life, you can survive and thrive even in very, very difficult times. And I'll tell you, Joseph had it in spades. He came into Egypt as a slave. He was sold to a man named Potiphar, 
who was the leading military man of the times. He was over all the Egyptian military. He was very important to the king because this was not a democracy. It was basically ruled as a, you know, as, as a monarchy. And then beyond that, just in, in any monarchy, it's very important to have the military to keep everybody in line. So Joseph was sold to an extraordinarily powerful and wealthy man. We said when he came into the family of Potiphar as a slave, he came in probably at the very bottom. But God's favor caused Joseph to rise through the ranks. Joseph worked hard. He was successful. And whatever he did just worked. And so Potiphar kept promoting him until finally, as we saw last week, he reached the stratosphere working for Potiphar, where basically he was no longer a slave. He was Potiphar's manager. In fact, as we saw in the scripture last week, the only thing Potiphar knew about was the food on his table. Joseph managed his properties. He managed his livestock. He managed all of his employees. Joseph ran the checkbook. Joseph was everything to Potiphar. It was a phenomenal rise because probably at this point, I'm just trying to figure out from the Bible how old Joseph was. I'm guessing he's somewhere about 20, maybe 22 years of age. That is a really high position for a kid who comes into the country as a slave uh, you know, at 22, maybe 23 years of age, maybe younger. I don't know. But in any event, Joseph is there. And it looks like, wow, God is blessed, has blessed him, and, and he's going to be successful. But like I said, when we left Joseph last week, we left him in jail because there, a problem arose at Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife started flirting with Joseph. She probably was a very attractive woman in those days. You know, like we said last week, rich guys married arm candy, and Potiphar, I'm sure, did. And, and Egyptian women were just like that. It was sort of understood that that's how Egyptian women behave. So she started flirting with Joseph, but Joseph comes from a different place. And Joseph comes from a different belief system. And he just, just doesn't hop into bed with anybody. And he's in a covenant relationship with God. And this woman's trying to get him to sleep with her, and he won't do it. In fact, Joseph took precautions, and this is, a good, this is good advice for men and women. If you're dealing with a situation like this, to the extent that you have the ability to take precautions in your life, it's very wise. Joseph did. He tried to make sure that whenever he was in the house, that there were a lot of people in there. But one day, Joseph came into the house to take care of his responsibilities, and when he did, nobody else was there except Potiphar's wife. And she grabbed him by his coat and said, hey, I want you to come to bed with me. And Joseph said, I can't do this. And we saw last week that Joseph understood that he was at a turning point or a tipping point in, in his life. Because if he gave in to Potiphar's wife, he would lose the favor that God had placed upon him. Joseph understood, like we saw last week, that the only way to lose God's favor is to betray his trust. If you have God's blessing and God's favor upon your life, it's because he trusts you. God has trusted you with the measure of his favor. God wants to do great things in this world, and he wants to use you and me. And if we'll be trustworthy, he will, like Potiphar did to Joseph, he will turn more and more responsibility over to us. The only thing that can cause us to lose that favor is if we betray that trust. And Joseph said as much to Potiphar's wife. He said, You're, my master trusts me. I cannot do this thing against my master and against my God. Wow. Sounds great. What a noble thing for Joseph to do. And yet it went south at that moment because Potiphar's wife had a hold of his coat and she tried to pull him into her room and he ran out of his coat and left it in her hands. Well, you know the old saying, hell hath no fury. And when her husband came home, she began to scream that Joseph tried to rape her. 
And that's the story that she told. And you can imagine how Potiphar would react to that. He was puzzled because Joseph was this fine young man. But you know, you know how it is. Sometimes you just don't know people. And so Potiphar said to himself, well, I really don't know this kid's family. I don't know where he came from. So who knows? Maybe he's, a, you know, maybe he's got you know, sex crime uh, inside of him somewhere. And so Potiphar threw him in prison, in his own prison. Now, guys, this is what I want to get to today because we're going to talk about favor in a whole new way and hopefully a way that will really resonate with many of us this morning. If, if I were to ask many Bible students, what was Joseph's big temptation? Most people would say it was when Potiphar's wife came on to him and tried to get him to have sex with her. But that wasn't Joseph's biggest temptation, and it won't be yours. If you're a God follower, the biggest temptation of your life will not be to sleep with somebody who's not your wife or husband. It will not be to take something that isn't yours. It will not be to ingest substances that will cause you to behave foolishly. If you're a God follower, the biggest temptation of your life will not be to get angry and to say and do things that will embarrass you and embarrass the people who love you. All of those are serious temptations, and we could list a whole lot more, but those are not the biggest temptation that you will face. Here's the biggest temptation right here, and it is the moment that will determine whether we fully have God's favor in our lives or we go back to square one. It's this. What do we do when we've done the right thing and it doesn't seem like God is making things work out. Do we continue trusting God, or do we take matters into our own hands? I want to read a verse to you out of the Bible, maybe a couple of verses, that are famous verses. In fact, some of you may have actually committed these verses to memory as life verses, but listen to what the Bible says. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord, Trust him, and he will help you. I want to read that one more time. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. Put yourself in Joseph's place. You just did a very noble thing. A lot of guys would do anything to get that kind of opportunity. An attractive woman coming on to him, I mean, after all, a little fun in the afternoon. I mean, a lot of guys would be all over that. That would be great. But Joseph said, no, I can't do this to your husband. I can't do this to my God. I'm going to do the right thing. But look where it got him. It got him in jail. Walk with me in your mind back to that jail cell that first afternoon. Joseph was sitting there. He started the day as a as a guy with a great job, a company car, a, a, an expense account. He started the day somebody, people said sir to him. And yet he's been put in plastic handcuffs and trotted off to jail. And now he sits in an orange jumpsuit in a jail cell accused of rape. All because he did the right thing. Joseph could have said, wow, if I had given in to her, I would still have my job. What was it about Joseph at that moment that caused him not to give up and to quit trusting God? We just saw a few moments ago, God has given us a promise. He has said if, we've commit our, if we would commit our life to him, he will make things happen for us. 
And by the way, that's not just a couple of verses that you find randomly in the Psalms. That truth is like a mighty river that runs through the Bible. The people who trust God, the people who commit their lives to God are the people who have God do great things for them. But oftentimes those people had to go through very difficult circumstances in which they surely had to scratch their heads and say, where is God? Like Daniel, who prayed and wound up in the lion's den. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who refused to bow and wound up in a furnace of fire. I mean, just go through Scripture and look how many times God's people must have surely scratched their heads and said, wait a minute, I tried to do the right thing, and now here I am in a tough spot. Where's God? I can't wait to talk to Joseph when I get to heaven. You know, maybe the second thousand years that I'm there, I just want to look, I'm sure first thousand years, I'm just going to walk around saying, wow, 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 phenomenal. Because the Bible says heaven's going to be so awesome, hasn't even entered into our, our mind, our imagination, the wonderful things that God has made for us. But the second thousand years, I think I want to look some people up, and Joseph is on my short list. First question I want to ask him when I get there is this question. How did you do it when everything you did was right and yet everything that happened to you was wrong. How did you stay in there? Because see, I've met so many good people who were right where Joseph was, they did the right thing, and it didn't go well, and they got disillusioned, and they just said, hey, this thing doesn't work, and they checked out on God. That's the normal inclination, but I want to know, how did Joseph do it? I think I know. I'm not trying to presume that I know how Joseph will answer me when I get to heaven if he talks to me, but I, I, I just think this is why he did it. How many of us grew up in great homes, but even in great homes, we saw something in our family that we said, I don't want that in my life. I don't want that in my family. Joseph grew up in a dysfunctional home, but to very good parents. His dad was Jacob. And, and he, Jacob, the Bible, God says, Jacob, I love. God loved Jacob. Jacob was a great guy. And Rachel, the beautiful Rachel, was his mother. But both his pro- parents had a problem. And it messed up their lives, and eventually it created a dysfunctional family. It goes something like this. And here's the point that I want to make for all of us here today. When we get to that place where we say, okay, I tried to follow God and it's not working well. If we take matters back into our own hands and try to make things happen, listen to me, the first casualty will be truth. Whenever we give up on God and we start trying to make things happen on our own, if you don't have to look very far before you find deception. Because see, here's the thing. When we're, when we're trusting God, we can, we can tell the truth. We can just leave it with God and say, well, that's the truth. I'm just trusting God. We can say, I don't have to scheme. I don't have to cut corners. I don't have to cheat anybody. I'm just trusting on God. I'm just doing the right thing. But when we stop trusting God and we take matters in our own hands, that's when we fall back into the world system of lies. I remember a movie that was out a few years ago, a Jim Carrey movie called, I think it was Liar, Liar. Anybody see that? You know, here's a liar and, and, and his, he, you know, he's, guy is not really, you know, real settled in his life, and, and he's always telling people this, but not following through, and so I think his son had a birthday wish and blew out the candle, and he wished that his dad could tell the truth for 24 hours, and if you've seen the movie, you saw how it just about wrecked his life. That's the way, and, and the reason why that movie resonates with us is we understand pretty clearly that this world system is based pretty much on deception. If everybody told the truth, that would very much change the world that you and I live in. 
And the problem when we try to take matters back in our own hands is truth is the first casualty. I've known Christian people who use deception, but if you ask them about it, they would say, well, I'm doing God's will, so I'm using this deception to make God's will come to pass. Listen to what the Bible says. In 1 John 1, 5, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus talks about the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. There's no lie in God. You say, Mark, I I just got to kind of tell a white lie here, because if I tell the truth, I'm not sure, I'm not sure that she'll stay with me, or I've just kind of, I, I can't be completely honest here, because if I do, I think it would really mess my career up. But do you feel like you're in God's will? How can you be in God's will using the devil's tool? Because there's no lie in God. See, here's the reason why I think Joseph was able to stay in prison, saying, well, I don't really understand why this has happened to me. It doesn't make any sense to me, but I'm trusting God, and I'm going to still do the right thing. I'm still going to be honest. I'm still going to be pure. And even in jail, the Bible says, Joseph just was so exceptional that they kept promoting him even in jail. I'm convinced that the reason why Joseph was faithful to God was he had seen his parents do it wrong. Let's go back in time. Let's do a little history lesson on Joseph's mom and dad. Let's start with his dad. Joseph's dad, Jacob, was the younger of twins. (laughs) Boy, you talk about something that would just gripe you, being the younger of twins back in those days, especially if you were a boy, because the, the way things worked back then is the oldest son got practically everything. If you were the younger son, you didn't get very much. Well, if you were, you know, two years younger or something, maybe you could just say, well, that's how things happen. But can you imagine just being minutes later? And on top of that, Jacob had a really unusual upbringing because Jacob and his brother were very different. You can read about this in the book of Genesis. Jacob's brother Esau, when he was born, he was red, the Bible says, and he came out hairy even when he was born. Kind of strange when you think about it. And he was, you know, he was covered with hair. He's very masculine. You know, he was, he was outdoorsman. He loved to hunt fish. He played football and track and, you know, he ran track and not really. But I'm just saying if, if it was modern times, that would be how Esau was. Well, guess, guess who, who favored Esau? Was Esau a daddy's boy or a mama's boy? He was daddy's boy. Because daddy loved his, you know, he loves boasting about his son Esau. Man, he's great at sports. He's great at hunting. He's very athletic. He's a man's man. Jacob, on the other hand, the Bible says was smooth. He was what we would call a metrosexual today. I mean, Jake, you know, if they were watching television, they would fight over the remote. Esau would want to watch ESPN. Jacob would want his cooking channel. Now, there was a prophecy that God had made before these babies were born. God had made the prophecy to the mother. And he had said the older one is going to serve the younger. Now, that's very backward because in those days, like I said, the oldest son would basically get everything and he would rule. But God had said it's not going to work that way in this family. The younger one is going to to rule over the older one. Now, that should have been enough right there because God had given a prophecy, God had given a word, and it should have been enough for everybody in the family to just realize God would work it out on his own terms. But Jacob was growing up, and he said to himself, I don't see how this is going to happen. There were two things, that were two endowments that were important to Jacob. One was called the birthright, and the other was the blessing. The birthright 
would have been the spiritual leadership of the family. It would have been, you know, being part of the lineage of the Messiah. It was being, you know, the spiritual leader. Esau didn't care about that. Esau was not a spiritual man. He was not a godly man. He didn't care anything about that. But the second thing Esau cared a lot about, it was the blessing. The blessing was the financial endowment in which the the patriarch of the family would pass over almost all the family wealth, and Esau really, really wanted that. But Jacob is sitting back here, and he's thinking to himself, I don't see how I'm going to get either one because daddy favors Esau. And I know God has made this promise that the older is going to serve the younger, but I just don't see it happening. My brother's just so much stronger and more macho than I am. I don't think it's going to happen. I think dad's going to give it to Esau. And so what did Jacob do? He took matters into his own hands. A few moments ago, what did we say is the first casualty if we take matters into our own hands? It's truth. Well, the first thing that Jacob did may, may not have been so bad because, after all, it was all about the birthright. Esau didn't care about the birthright, and Jacob knew he didn't care about it. One day, Esau had been on a long multi-day hunt, and he was starving to death. And when he came in, Jacob was cooking beans, red beans. And Esau came in, and he smelled the beans cooking with all the spices. And if we were in Texas, we'd say it was chili. Esau came in, and he said, uh, Jacob, I'd like to have some of those red beans. And Jacob said, well, how much is it worth to you? Tell you what, you sell me your birthright. I'll give you a bowl of beans. Sold. Now, that was legal, but it wasn't ethical. You see what I'm saying? Jacob now is trying to take matters into his own hands. God has promised that he is going to be the leader. But Jacob is saying, I can't trust God for this. I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to cheat my brother, and I'm going to do this little you know, hokey deal here to sell the birthright for a bowl of beans. Well, Esau really didn't care all that much about that. It wasn't, he, he didn't care about spiritual things. But it was the next thing that went down that really screwed the family up. I don't know if I have any ladies here today who are married to a guy who can, when he gets sick, he can start like turning into a little kid. Any, and don't, don't raise your hand, please. Okay. Isn't it strange how, how you know, big guys can turn into to babies sometimes? And, and, and Jacob's dad, Isaac, did. Isaac said, I think I'm going to die. If you read in the Bible, he lived for years. But he said, I think I'm going to die. And he got in bed, and, and he called Esau in. He said, Esau, listen, I think I'm going to die. I'm not long for this world. I want you to go hunting. And maybe what he really was was hungry. Because he said, I want you to go out, and I want you to shoot a deer, and bring it in, have your mom spice it all up, and, and fix it for me the way I like it. And then he said, when I eat it, I'm going to give you the blessing. In the kitchen... Jacob's mom hears what's going on, and she calls Jacob in, and she says, listen, Jacob, if you're not careful here, your dad is going to give the blessing to your brother, and you're supposed to have it, but we can't trust God to do it his way. We're going to do this our way. While your brother's out hunting, while he's out pursuing something, we're going to do something around here. And she said, I want you to go out. She said, your dad won't know the difference between the taste of the meat if I spice it just right. I want you to go out and get a young lamb from the flock. Bring it in. We're going to dress it. I'm going to spice it all up real good. And then you can go in there and give it to your dad, and he'll give you the blessing. And Jacob said, Mama, it ain't going to work. If I go in there, he's going to know I'm not Esau because Esau is hairy. And Jacob said, I'm metrosexual. I'm smooth. And and he's going to know. And he's going to know I don't smell like Esau. And she said, I got that all worked out. She took some of the fleece from the back of that sheep, tied it onto Jacob on his arms, spiced the meat up, and Jacob takes the tray in there to his dad. And his dad's eyesight's not what it used to be. And so his dad says, well, <clears throat> how'd you find it so fast? Oh, man. Jacob tells a big one. He said, God brought it to me. 
liar. And he said, well, come closer. And he, he said, let me feel you, because he, he, was, he wasn't sure. And so he feels, he feels that fleece on, on Jacob's arms, and he says, wow, you know, the smell is like Esau, but the voice is Jacob's. But it was just enough deception to where Isaac said, all right, and he conferred the blessing on Jacob. Jacob got what he wanted, but it tore the family apart. And there were ramifications that lasted, that still last to this day, really. See, what happened was Jacob got what he wanted, but he didn't get it God's way. One of the worst things that can happen to you and me is to get what we want, but not to get it God's way, to get it through deception. Because even if we get what we want, the problem is we will have used the devil's tool to try to accomplish what we think God wants. And at the end of the day, it, what God wants for you is not for you to do some particular thing for him to find the holy grail what god wants from you is to trust him and if we don't trust him even if we accomplish what we think god wants us to accomplish it won't be what he wants and it'll be all messed up now think with me for a moment jacob has gotten the prize but in the process he has sowed some seeds that will come back to haunt him how many of us have done things like that we just cut a corner. We just cheated a little bit. We just told a lie. We, we weren't exactly honest to make something come about that we wanted to come about, and we got what we wanted. We got married. We got that job. We had that child, but in the process, we just did something that we knew was deceptive, and sowing and reaping is in the universe. Well, Esau has sworn to kill Jacob. He said, as soon as my dad dies, I'm going to kill Jacob. And Jacob's mom overhears this, and the family now is all split up, torn because of the deception. And, and, and so Jacob's mom says, you better run, buddy. You better get out of here. Go back to the country that I came from, my, my family. Go back to my, my people, and they will take care of you. And so here's this kid, Jacob, who's running away from his family to try to stay away from his brother who wants to kill him. And so he goes to the place of his uncle Laban, his mom's brother. And just as he gets to town, he notices Laban's daughter, Rachel. This will be Joseph's mother, by the way. And she is hot. I mean, the Bible just tries to tell us she is smoking hot. She is gorgeous. She's great, got a great figure. She's got a beautiful face. She's got this gorgeous expression. I mean, she's just charming. She's the kind of gal that guys just turn and look at. And Jacob was absolutely smitten. Laban, his uncle, called him in and said, Okay, son, I want you to stay with us, but I can't have you work for nothing. Tell me what you'd like for your wages to be. Now, if there was ever a guy in the world who knew how to make a deal... It was Jacob. Listen, when you can buy a birthright for a bowl of beans, you are a really good wheeler dealer. In all of his life, he will be a good wheeler dealer. But if you want to see how smitten he was, this guy was irrational. Because when Laban said, tell me what you want your wages to be, Jacob just blurted out, I will work seven years for you if you'll give me Rachel. How many of you guys would have worked seven years for your wife? Do not raise your hand. Because if you're lying in church, God will kill you. <laughs> and if you wouldn't work seven years for your wife, you'll be sleeping on the couch tonight. Just keep them at your side. <laughs> I mean, this guy's crazy. You're talking about in love. Jacob is saying, I will work seven years for Rachel. 
Now, you got to think to yourself, Jacob is thinking, ooh, man, I got this thing going for me. I bought the birthright. I wheeled and dealed and lied, cheated my brother out of the blessing, and now I'm going to marry this smoking hot woman, and all I got to do is work seven years for my uncle, and she's going to be mine, and the world is going to be great. But Jacob has dropped some seeds of deception into the ground. Man, all those seven years, and Jacob said, he, by his own testimony, he said it seemed like just a few days because of the love that he had for Rachel. He's just thinking to himself, man, I'm going to marry the woman of my dreams. I can't wait. You know, it's cold today, but it's all right. I can take the cold because I'm going to marry the woman of my dreams. It's hot today, but I'm going to, I'm going to make it because I'm going to marry beautiful Rachel. And just all those seven years, he just, all he could dream about was that wonderful, wonderful time when he would marry the woman that he loved with all his heart. Just keeping it real here. The time came for the wedding. I need to just sort of give you a little aside here. Rachel was not the only girl in the family. She had an older sister. Her name was Leah. Leah was different from Rachel. Leah was not beautiful. In fact, the Bible says she had tired eyes. (laughs) Rachel's eyes had sparkle. Leah's eyes just looked tired. Rachel means little ewe lamb. Is there anything more delicate and tender and precious than a little ewe lamb? I mean, you know, and that was how Rachel was thought of. I would love to soften the blow. You know what Leah means? It means cow. (laughs) Jacob was not interested in Leah. Time comes from the wedding. Oh, they have the celebration. They have the tambourines out there dancing. They're eating and everything. They have the wedding celebration. And so there was always the moment. Of course, the night's dark, and they didn't have electric lights or anything like that. Jacob goes to his tent. It was the time for the dad to bring the daughter to the tent. You can see where this is going already, can't you? You know, I, I, I got to tell you this crazy story. About 10 years ago, I bought a car. Um, I, I was speaking at this church. In fact, I spoke at the same church in Texas for 12 straight years. It was a very affluent church. And if you went out to the parking lot, they had luxury cars all over the place because it was a typical affluent Metroplex church. And, and, and I remember there was this couple that had this Lincoln Town car, and it was appointed like you've never seen one before. Very Texas, you know, had gold trim and all kinds of accessories and stuff that aren't normally on a Lincoln Town car. And the couple that owned it only put like 5,000 miles a year on it. It was like five or six years old. And I used to tease them about it all the time. I would only see it at night. It was silver with white leather interior. I used to tell them, hey, that's a great car. If you ever decide to sell it, let me know. I was just kidding. It was just my way of telling them, you know, I thought the car was pretty. But I can remember a November day about 10 years ago, they called me and they said, hey, Mark, are you serious about that? You know, we're buying a new town car and, and we're selling this one. And, and they just quoted me an outrageously low price, almost nothing. And they said, if you'll come to Texas, we'll sell it to you. And I'm thinking, well, I've never driven a Lincoln town car before. It's not exactly my, my cup of tea, but I don't know that I can pass that up. It's such a beautiful silver car with white leather interior. So anyway, drove to Texas and... Uh, <laughs> It was night when I got there, and of course, all the couples in the church wanted me to go out to dinner with them, so I didn't even get to see the car. They just all took me out to dinner, and we sat around and talked for a long time. About 10 o'clock, I finally came back to the house and got the car. It was beautiful. Oh, I mean, it was like, I got into it, it was like it was brand new. My parents still lived in the Metroplex in those days, and so I was going to stay overnight with them. I drove to my parents' house, put it in my dad's garage. The next morning, <laughs> in the daylight, I went outside to get my car. And I looked at it, and I said to my dad, who was with me, I said, Dad, it's lavender. (laughs) Serious. It was lavender with this white padded roof and gold trim. 
You talk about something that'll challenge your manhood driving around in there. <laughs> I didn't keep it all that long. <laughs> when Jacob wakes up the next morning and looks at who's in bed with him, it isn't Rachel. It's Leah. See, he, he took matters into his own hands, and he dropped seeds of deception in the ground, and you just cannot flip God off. You, you, you cannot say, I'm going to do this myself. I can't trust God to do it. I'm going to do it myself. And then be deceptive and then have everything work out okay. So Jacob storms into the house and he says to Laban, what's the deal here? I said I would work seven years for Rachel and I got Leah. And you lied to me and you cheated me. And Laban said, oh, I forgot to tell you, we have this custom here. We have this custom where the older daughter's got to get married first. But if you will work seven years more for me, I'll give you Rachel. And I cannot begin to tell you all the problems that that created in that family. Those two women were jealous of each other. There was constant bickering and fighting over who could have kids and who couldn't have kids. I mean, they were actually bartering. You can read about this. They were actually bartering Jacob's time, selling aphrodisiacs to each other. Crazy, crazy. That is the home Joseph grew up in. Screwed up, dysfunctional. I think when Joseph sat in prison that night, probably he was tempted to just take matters into his own hands. But I think he said to himself, I've seen what that did to mom and dad, and I can't afford to do that. And now the rest of the story. Because I could be talking to somebody here tonight and, or this morning, and because you have obeyed God and because you've done the right thing, it hasn't gone well for you. And now you're sitting like Joseph, maybe not in a prison cell, but you feel like you're in a prison cell because you're saying, Where, when's life ever going to work for me? Where is God? Is God, God is in my life. When's he going to show up and help me? Do you realize that God may use the circumstances that you're in right now, negative as though they may be, God may use those circumstances to place you strategically right where he wants you. Very quickly, I want to give you the rest of the story. Joseph is sitting in jail. He's wearing an orange jumpsuit. He's pushing a broom. He's whistling. He's bringing his A game even in the prison. And they're starting to say, hey, buddy, we'll, let you, we'll just turn this over to you. One day, one day, two of the king's top people are thrown in the prison. The king has a mercurial personality. He's very quick-tempered. He's very quick in his decisions. And a couple of his top guys, his butler and his baker. Now, that doesn't sound like very much, but they were rock stars back in those times. They were very important people. The baker would have been over all the cooking in the palace. The butler, he would have had the responsibility of handing the cup of wine to the pharaoh. He had to be one of the most trusted people in the kingdom. But the king got, he got upset with them, threw them both in, in jail. And the Bible says that the warden or the keeper of the jail turned them both over to Joseph. And Joseph just, you know, he made talk with them. He was friendly to them and helped them. And I'm sure they talked about what's, you know, Joseph said, what's life like at the palace? What's the, what's the Pharaoh like? And, and tell me about how things are in the palace. And they, they talked about that. One day, however, Joseph came in and both of the guys were pretty upset. And he asked them what was wrong. And they said, well, we, we had dreams last night. We can't figure them out. They were so weird. They've got to mean something, but we don't know. So he asked the, the butler what his dream was. He said, well, I had this branch of grapes. Uh, there was this stalk of grapes, and there were three branches, and, 
And he said there was, you know, there were clusters on the branches, and I took one of the clusters, and I squeezed them into a cup, and I gave it to Pharaoh, and he drank it. And Joseph said, well, I don't know personally what that means, but I know a God who can interpret dreams. And so Joseph asked God, and God said, gave Joseph the interpretation. Joseph said, here's what's going to happen. The three branches represent three days. And in three days, the Pharaoh is going to restore you to your job, and you're getting, you know, squeezing the grapes into the cup. That's, a, that's significant of the fact that you're going to be serving Pharaoh again. And the butler, a baker heard that. He was excited. He thought maybe he was going to have a good interpretation. So he, had, he, he told Joseph his dream. He said, well, I had a basket of donuts and, and pastries on my head. And the birds came and started pecking them. And, 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 and he said, I don't know what that means. And, and Joseph said, I'm sorry to tell you this. What that means is you're, you're going to be impaled on a pole and the birds are going to eat your flesh. Three days later, happened just like Joseph said. Butler was getting his job back, and as he was leaving, Joseph said, hey, wait a minute. When you get back to the palace, would you tell Pharaoh that there's a guy down there that's innocent who's there on a trumped-up charge, and would you tell him about me? And the butler said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as I get there, I'm going to tell him about you. Well, my goodness, the butler just saw what happened to the baker. He's not going to do any freelancing when he gets back to the palace. He's lying out of his teeth. He's not going to tell Pharaoh about Joseph. Two more years, Joseph will sit in prison. By the way, it wouldn't have meant anything if the butler had told Pharaoh. Everybody says they're innocent at the jail. And why would the Pharaoh be interested in some Hebrew prisoner? But two years later, he sure was. Because Pharaoh had a dream. You talk about weird dreams. These guys had some strange dreams. Pharaoh had a dream, and in his dream, there were seven fat cows drinking down by the river. And all of a sudden, there were seven skinny cows. And the seven skinny cows ate the fat cows. And then he had this dream about seven big, you know, heads of of wheat. And then there were seven scrawny heads of wheat. And the seven scrawny heads of wheat ate the seven fat. And and Pharaoh just couldn't figure it out. And he called in all his experts. And he said, tell me what my dream means. And they said, we don't have any idea what your dream means. And the butler was just bringing him his cup. And he said, oh, man, I could have had a V8. There's a guy down in the jail. And he can interpret dreams. This is Hebrew kept. But, you know, you remember when you put us in, in, me and the baker, you remember you put us in jail, and and and, and we had dreams, and he told us the dream's meanings, and sure enough, it happened just like that. So Pharaoh said, trot him out here. Now, you can imagine, Joseph woke up that morning in an orange jumpsuit, and now he has an audience with the most powerful man in the world. And the most powerful man in the world is asking him for the meaning of his dreams. You can just see this, can't you? I can't. I have a vivid imagination. Joseph walks in, stands before the Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, son, I hear you can interpret dreams. And Joseph said, sir, you've heard wrong. That's over my pay grade. It's above my pay grade. But I serve a God who's got the answers to your questions. Pharaoh told him the dream, and Joseph said, here's what it means. The seven skinny cows and the seven scrawny, the seven scrawny heads of grain, they represent something. The seven fat Cows, seven fat heads of grain, represent something. The seven fat cows, you're going to have seven incredible economic years here in Egypt. Off the charts. Off the charts good. Money's going to be going everywhere. It's like, you know, the late 90s. It was like the tech boom. Joseph said, you're going to have seven phenomenal years. But he said, they're going to be followed by seven years that are so bad that they will make everybody forget the years of prosperity. 
And now Joseph steps across the line because Pharaoh has only asked him to interpret his dream. Joseph now is going to start giving him some advice. He says, sir, here's what you need to do. During those seven very good years, you need to, turn, you need to put some, one person in charge over the whole country, over the distribution process. And what needs to happen is you need to take 20% of the wheat the 20% of the produce during those seven very good years and move them into granaries inside the city and put this guy over supervisors all over the country so that when the seven bad years happen, the people in the cities will not starve to death. But he says, it's very important. You got to get one guy and you got to put him over this whole process. Pharaoh looks at his boys and he's saying, you guys have any idea who'd be smart on this kid right here? And all of a sudden, he calls for the finest suit in the country to be put on Joseph's shoulders. And all the gold bling and the rings. And Pharaoh looks down to Joseph and he says, you now will be over everybody in the country except for me. And what you say goes over all the country. Joseph is now 30 years old. I would call that the fast track. Through a pit, through slavery, through prison, to be the most powerful man in the world by 30. All because he trusted God. I want to read one more verse to you if I could. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 3. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Duplicity means dishonesty. You know what the number one question that I've been asked in 32 years of pastoring? By far, it's the number one question. How can I know God's will for my life? Did you, did you just hear what the Bible said? The Bible says if you're a person of integrity, all you have to do is just believe the right message and do the right thing, and you'll wind up in the right place. Joseph didn't strategically determine his destiny here. Joseph didn't say, hmm, you know what? If I work hard for Potiphar, he'll promote me. And then if I do the right thing, then Potiphar's wife will allow me, and I'll wind up in prison. And if I wind up in prison, then the king's servants are going to come in, and I'm going to tell them their dreams, and they're going to get me to the right place. No, he didn't know any of that. All he knew was he was believing the right message, and he was doing the right thing, and he was trusting God for everything else. What do you think? The greatest temptation of your life will not be to sleep with someone who's not your husband or wife. It will not be to steal something. It will not be to use language that will embarrass you and be a disgrace to God. The greatest temptation in your life will be to check out on God when things don't seem to be working out. If you will stay faithful to him, he will rain his favor down on you.